Welcome to the Who's He podcast. In an occasional series, we're going to be talking about those people who've been lucky enough to travel with the Doctor over the last 50 or so years. Yes, the companions. Those people who have stepped through the doors of the TARDIS, have been shown the wonders and the dangers of the universe, and travelling through time and space. And of course, we'll be discussing the actors who have brought these iconic roles to life. My guests this week, and I, and I said guests, um, are Stephen Chapansky from Radio Free Scaro. Hello. And Eric Renson from the Verity Podcast and the audio guide to Babylon 5. Hello. Hello. Right, well, thank you for joining me this evening on this um, first in this occasional series on, on the Doctor's Companions. And, um, well, you've, you've picked a rather appropriate companion, seeing that the series is to return in a little under two weeks' time, as, as we recalled. And uh, so would you like to announce who you're going to be discussing tonight? We are going to be discussing Clara. Clara Oswald. Woohoo! I'm very Woo-hoo. excited. Okay, so um, why Clara? Of all, of all your 50 years worth of companions to pick, and you've, you've picked the recent one, so why, why Clara? I think that this current doctor-companion relationship might be my favorite ever, um, based, based on what happened in, in Series 8. I just think they were just such a great team. I think she's a um, she's a companion who has her own life and is independent mm-hmm. and can sort of have, you know, have a job as a school teacher and still sort of jump into the TARDIS and travel through time and space. And I, I enjoy that, and I enjoy how... Uh, how Good she is in a crisis and uh, and um, all sorts of reasons. I just I, I'm I'm you know we're we're nearing the natural end of a life of a companion, which is like three years in a show, and it still to me seems almost too short. Mm-hmm. And for me, <coughs> I I am one of the apparently few people who actually liked Clara even better um, in when she first appeared in series seven B. I was just in love with her as, as a character. And I still, I, I like the way she has blossomed and developed as a character through series eight. She has, um, well, the way that I judge companions is who would I want to be friends with? Who would I like to hang out with on the TARDIS or not on the TARDIS? And Clara in series seven was, was just like perfect for me. I loved her so much. And I still like her a lot as a, as a character to watch in series eight. But I think I, she made a lot of choices that made me want to throw things at the TV, hmm. which are great, <laughs> great from a writing standpoint, great from a character standpoint, because that's what good television is is all about. So so I'm still in love with her and I still like watching what she's going to do because I genuinely don't know what she's going to do next. But I am really extra excited for series nine because I don't know what direction she's going to go in. And I am I'm really kind of hoping that there will be this sort of, uh, you know, she'll be done with this weird angsty period in her life where she's telling all these lies and all of this stuff that makes me crazy and is just having great adventures with the doctor. <laughs> so we get a little bit back to what I think of as, as Series 7B, Clara, but more uh, self-assured and more sure of where her place in the universe, which she definitely was not in Series 7B. Although that was part of what drew me to her because I feel like that a lot. 
Well, it's, it's interesting you say um, so that, yeah, that's the reasons you like it. It seems to be that's the same reasons why um, the character seems to polarise a lot of fans mm-hmm. um, as well. And there's, I mean, there's a lot of fans out there for Clark, which I'm one of them as well, actually. I think he's a great character and fantastically acted uh, by Jenna Coleman as well. Um, but it does seem to be a lot of um, sort of hatred, not hatred, but sort of dislike towards the character. Um, do you think it's because of those reasons you just mentioned? Because she she has got a life, she does sort of flip sort of to like, be, between normal life and the, and the the life on the TARDIS. Do you think that that's the reason why? I think that's definitely part of it. I think I think the reason she was so hated at first by so many people was because she didn't have any characteristics that just stood out you know she you know yes she was quote-unquote the impossible girl but that was all completely from the doctor's point of view um I think that that she was very kind of like I said unsure of of her place and she didn't know what to make of the doctor and I think a lot of people were insulted by that the fact that she wasn't ready to just jump onto the TARDIS and and you know throw away her life the way a lot of other companions have done um Mm -hmm. And then, and then, yes. Once we get to series eight, and she's still not on the TARDIS <coughs> with the Doctor, she's she's still having her own life. I think that made people even angrier. And then a lot of the people, I find it weird. Many people who didn't like her so much in series seven like her a lot better in series eight because the the stories are more focused around her and her her character development. And then there are people like me, and I'm not alone. I know I'm not alone uh, who liked her a little bit better in series seven B. Who uh, it, it, we didn't stop liking her in series eight, but uh, it just kind of for the, the same reasons that other people don't like her. That's, that's why we do. <laughs> well, I think, I think it's, it's interesting because you, I, um, I think the character's uh, dynamic with, with the doctor has obviously has to change because it's a different doctor. Okay. It's still the same character. But it's a different personality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people say that she worked better with the 11th doctor. It was a bit more of a pally relationship with the 12th doctor. It's a little bit more antagonistic, um, which I think makes it a bit more interesting. I think it it's more of a team. I think they earn that teamwork that they sort of gain at the end of the of the end of the series eight, mm. where they go through all the strife and sort of they you know they gradually sort of get back together, <clears throat> and you feel like they've they've gone through it. That they you know this is not a contrived relationship. It's something that they've actually worked on. Uh, I think Stephen Moffat actually called, and I, I I I agree with him on this, and that Clara in in series seven B is kind of like Sarah Jane Smith in season eleven, mm-hmm. where she's with a new doctor, but mm-hmm. it just doesn't seem quite right because you know it, uh, Amy's sort of always been that girl for that mm-hmm. doctor, and and I think Clara was just sort of in at the beginning, and and even though you liked her, and I liked her too, mm-hmm. but she didn't have she didn't know what was going on, and he didn't know what was going on, so she was a person who didn't really have any ground to stand on and now she finally finds that maybe people just are upset at, at uh, companions who are strong independent uh, young women who mm-hmm. uh, stand up for what they believe in <laughs> there's definitely some of that yeah. um i found that <laughs> I, I found that her her character in complete with her and the doctor in series 7b i think you're right it was i mean a lot of it was because we had this little mini arc over that half of the season where the doctor genuinely didn't know what to think of her and didn't quite trust her so no of course you're not going to get a a solid doctor companion relationship um i think the people who liked her better with the 11th doctor were probably enjoying that um that dynamic of of this just sort of figuring out and maybe some of those people 
people like the fact that she just wasn't doing all that much in those stories. I mean, I can always point to something that, that makes it <coughs> a really awesome Clara episode, but the the stories were not written around their relationship the way that they started to be in series eight. And and I completely agree with, with you, Stephen, that she and and the eighth and Capaldi in the eighth season are really earning the uh, earning their stripes as a as a doctor <laughs> companion team because there's 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 an awful lot of uh, of back and forth and I think I think with a companion on the TARDIS it's way harder to do something like that whereas she's going home at the end of every night so uh, when you had a companion living on the TARDIS you kind of had to I mean except maybe in the case of somebody like Tegan um, <laughs> kind of had to th- have <laughs> things resolved and everybody be happy by the end of the day because otherwise it's just constant constant bickering Mm -hmm. and you know Mm. she she goes off and she goes home then you know you can have those sorts of emotions stew and fester a little bit so the next time they get together there's a little bit more frisson going on and i i don't know what to expect for series nine i i always hesitate to to make guesses about what's coming but um i guess i could say what i would like to see would be the a, a lot of that frisson well Frisian good, yes, but uh, but like anger and angst and stuff, I'd like to <coughs> maybe see less of that and more of just the two of them palling around and adventuring. And I'd love it if she did get to the point where she decided to to stay on the TARDIS. That'd be cool. Yeah, I think by the time we reach the end of the Christmas special, uh, they more or less sort of. I think I think that uh, to my mind, it's, it's probably where it's going to go in series nine. I'm making a massive guess here mm-hmm. um, that I think it will be a bit more of you know, the Doctor and the Clara on the TARDIS. And the trailers seem to hint at that as well. The Doctor says that himself. Yeah. You know, it's just the Doctor and the, Cl- Doctor and the Clara in the, in the TARDIS. And it's, it seems to be the way it's, it's sort of heading now because they seem to have reached the point in their relationship where they sort of understand one another now. And I think it, it needed that whole series, the whole of series eight, to reach that point. And I think it made really interesting viewing, mm-hmm. uh, which a lot of people didn't like for some reason. I mean, the series eight as well polarise a lot of a uh, lot of the viewers um so, okay there's a couple of duffins in there but it's one of the most well acted most well directed series um I, I, to my mind that we've had since the show come back um in 2005 i think i think it was it was outstanding um i agree I lot, but, but you know when yeah. you look at any era of doctor who or any season you're gonna if you think back to it like oh wait that was polarizing too because you're always gonna have people on one side and always have people on the other side and i mean as long as the ratings are still good and they are rock solid mm. at this point oh gotcha yeah it, i just yeah. kind of think you know what this is just the way doctor who goes because because everybody has such different feelings about it whatever story is your least favorite of of any series but series eight that's that's somebody else's favorite by by a long mm. shot it's so weird it is weird it's yeah. very weird and you, and you look at uh, the way series eight uh changed from series seven um you know a lot of people love david tennant and when he changed to matt smith they got upset but i think even though they had a different showrunner and Stephen moffat i think there was still that sort of fairy tale spirit of adventure going on in in the early matt smith era that's what sort of made the transition a little more malleable um also young cute like you know that too the the doctor having sort of that feel to him very approachable yeah all of a sudden Mm, series eight is mature relationships between the Mm -hmm. you know the companion and another person and the doctor as well the show is going out a little later it's there's a certain darker tone about these things there are a lot of different tonal shifts i think in series eight that might have made it a little less digestible for some people, but I found it great. It's still my favorite season of all time. It is more mature. I will give it that. Exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, I think that I think that's one of the reasons why people didn't really, uh, can I put it, sort of take to it because um, I know a lot of people didn't like Capaldi's doctor. He was he was too abrasive, too spiky. But I think that was the, that was a whole idea. And mm-hmm. um, you watch him mellow and find out who he is as the series goes on, and and how he and Clara work together as well. That that was the whole. You know, the, to my mind, the, the, the whole point of it. Um, but a lot of people didn't, couldn't couldn't stick with it, and they go out watching, which I think they they missed out on a on really good Doctor companion relationship, um, sort of being built. It wasn't instant, which is what you usually get, mm-hmm. and, that, and that's what I like. It wasn't an instant relationship. It wasn't like bang, it's these two in the TARDIS, and no, they they had to work at it. Yeah, and well, it, I guess it was, the, pe- the people who jumped ship and just decided they didn't want to keep watching, I, I have to assume that that's not, that they're watching for something very different in Doctor Who than what I am, because I am watching to mm. see that that companion and Doctor relationship change and evolve. And if somebody is tuning in and really just wants to see a lighthearted kind of somewhat fluffy or, you know, maybe emo adventure happening, then... <laughs> Then yeah, that's not what they got in Series Eight. So maybe they are no, better no, no, off no. not not having <laughs> stuck around to watch. Yeah, oh, it's that, that that's their that's their loss is what I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. So that's their loss. So I know we we briefly um, last time you were on the podcast, Erica, we briefly uh, briefly spoke about Clara because we because we discussed a song of the Daleks, mm-hmm. um, which was her first um, her first appearance in in Doctor Who. Uh, so really, we we discussed it then. But so when she joined in in Series Seven B in the Bells of St John. Um, how do you think it sort of changed from what we saw before? Because obviously it was it was a different, you know, uh, a different Clara, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. I think that it really wrapped up very nicely because when I first saw, you know, real Clara or Clara Prime, as I refer to her, mm. um, in the Bells of St. John, then she did not seem like quite the same character that we had seen either in The Snowmen or in Asylum of the Daleks. She was not quite as sure of herself. She seemed more just like kind of like a regular girl just you know trying to get through life you know plodding Mm -hmm. along and and a lot of people myself included maybe to a certain extent a lot of people were very disappointed I was just kind of like I'm gonna wait and see um but people were like oh my god I loved I loved Dalek Clara so much and or Oswin um and this is just not the same and it's true and and now having being able to see that in retrospect and look at what happened with her over the course of series 7b I am very glad that she didn't start out that way because then we would have completely lost all of the development that happened to her through the course of that. Of course she wasn't as self-assured and she hadn't been running around the universe with the doctor. She hadn't learned all of this stuff yet. She had just been growing up in England. Like that's, that's all she had. She hadn't even done her any traveling yet. So, so yes, it was, it was a little bit of a, a couple of steps back when we saw her there, but I think that they were important steps back narratively because we needed to then watch her, you know, it was almost like river song, like in a way, because we see her at mm. the end only, you know, kind mm. of reversed. We, we see rivers, rivers journey. Um, and you know how she gets to where she goes and with Clara, yep, we do sort of see her at the end first, even though they're just splinters of her personality. Those are splinters of a personality that has, has earned all of these developments. Whereas when we go to the Pells of St. John, now we're back at square one. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Yeah, having, what about you, Stephen? Having learned about her, but not having learned about her, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's weird how we have this. You know, we have Oswin and we have the Snowman Clara to sort of compare her with, even though we really shouldn't, because 
that Clara doesn't even exist yet in her world, you know? It's, I hate this phrase, mm. but it's timey-wimey. Yeah. It really is. <laughs> you said it. I did. I, yeah. I apologize, but it's, you know, it's, it's the quickest shorthand to point out the fact that, that, that Doctor Who is a time travel show, so you're not always getting things in the order that they, that they happen, which I like. Mm. Mm. So what was, what was it at the, the particular moment when you thought, that's it. Clara's the companion for me. What? What was there a particular scene or um, a particular line of dialogue that that sort of really made a stand out for for either of you? Well, for me, it was Asylum of the Daleks. <laughs> even though I didn't know what <laughs> yeah. that character was, but I was very happy to find out that even though she wasn't exactly the same person in Bells of Saint John, um, that it was still she had all of the fundamental characteristics that make Clara Clara. She's she's bright and she's smart and she's quick. Uh, and she's not necessarily willing to to trust the doctor right away at face value. So I I was I was buying in from the very beginning. Even even whether you want to call the beginning Oswin as the Dalek, or if you want to call the beginning the the first real Clara, I I, I loved her in the Bells of Saint John. So yeah, I did. Too. It's funny you mentioned um, you know Solomon of the Daleks kind of reminds me of Dragonfire in. So fun in uh, only okay. one way in that you should make me think of Dragonfire. <laughs> yeah. In that in Dragonfire, you witness the the new companion and the old one interacting, or at least in the same story, you see mm-hmm. Ace and Mel in the same one. You realize that, oh, mm-hmm. wow, Mel is kind of dull, but Ace certainly <laughs> looks interesting, you know, and so you start to like you look for. And so I remember like it was a great little hoodwink because Clara, uh, Jenna Coleman, Jenna Louise Coleman, as she was known back then. Mm-hmm. was uh was announced as being the next companion for the next season and that Amy and Roy would have five episodes to to kill them off basically. And so <laughs> we all knew that she was coming into the show. <clears throat> we didn't know she was coming into Asylum of the Daleks. Right. And so when she pops up there, I remember it t- took me a couple a couple scenes to go is that Jenna Louise Coleman playing <laughs> that? Like I didn't actually <laughs> realize it was her. And then when I saw just how, you know, perky and fun and you know quick-witted and quick-talky that she kind of was i just i just kind of got one over and uh, i didn't i didn't hate amy and rory by any stretch of the imagination but i just remember that that little preview of uh of what clara could be was um or oswin mm-hmm. as we thought she was then mm. uh was a uh, was a nice tip of the future so so it was a, it was a long-seated um introduction to elements of her character so when she finally appeared um, as herself in bells of saint john i was like yes here we go let's let's kick this off and the thing the thing that really drew me to her in asylum is the fact i love the fact that they are physically separated so the only um the only interaction she's having with the rest of the cast is over the intercom so Mm -hmm. she's just she's Mm. just speaking to them and i think it was tansy um on either on verity or in a blog post somewhere that pointed out that a lot of the way moffat writes characters especially male female interactions is reminiscent of a uh, a romantic comedy film from like the 40s. So you get this very sort of quippy, you know, Cary Grant, Rosalind Russell, back and forth, His Girl Friday, like super fast dialogue and everything is very clever and witty and sharp and, and cutting. And that has to be highlighted in Asylum of the Daleks because there's no physical interaction. They can't see each other. So it's all dialogue based. Everything that they know about her until the end and discover, oh my God, she's a Dalek. Uh, it's it's all based on the dialogue. So it's it's highlighted very well. And I think that is my favorite part of Clara as a character is just, it, I keep saying quick-witted and the way that the quick-wittedness manifests is the way that she speaks and reacts to the doctor. And that's how they get these great back and forth 
conversations and stuff where they're just sort of, you know, not snipping at each other, but almost to that point. It's it's really very, very 40s style dialogue. I love it. Uh, that that rings a bell because now you love that's your golden <laughs> age of Hollywood for it you. Is. So <laughs> no wonder you like I it think, so much. Well, I think that was the golden age of Hollywood, actually, yeah. the 40s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. sure, yeah. The, yeah, it really was. Uh, I think for for me, um, I think when, when I sort of really sort of clicked with the character was um, in Cold War. Uh, oh, really? when she goes in to confront um, the Ice Warrior on her own mm. when, it, when, he, when he's chained up. And I just thought the way she um, sort of Jenna Cohen acted uh, that whole scene out um, on her own, because I think usually it would have been that the Doctor would have gone into in alone. He wouldn't have put the companion in that kind of sort of, sort of danger. I know the Ice Warrior was, was tied up, and as we know, he wasn't in the suit and <laughs> uh, his armour. Um, but, um, but no, it was Clara that goes in there. And, and I think that's when it sort of um, clicked for me. And I thought, yeah, she's, um, oh, how can I put it? It's almost, all, I, I, I keep, hate having to keep referring I hate referring back to Sarah Jane because um, I think that's sort of held up as sort of, the, you know, that's the holy grail of companions, um, Sarah Jane. But uh, yeah, I thought that that was sort of her first sort of Sarah Jane moment to my mind, where she, where she goes in, she confronts the enemy. Um, she's, mm-hmm. you know, taking charge, as it were. Um, and I just thought it was, it was really well well done, but she wasn't quite so sure of herself at that particular point. And I, yeah, I think that scene is is you know you can kind of draw a straight line between that scene and and uh, her character later on because I think that was you know in order to get good at anything you got to try it and you got to practice it and mm. that is that is her very early in her her career as a companion trying something and. And I think, you know, anytime somebody says that that Clara is no good in, in Series 7B, I like to point to that scene in Cold War. I like to point to um, her in Hyde talking to the side characters, her in um, uh, Rings of Akaton when she's, you know, she's, her interaction with uh, Mary, what's her name? Um, the girl. Yeah, the little girl. Yeah. Like all of these things are very, like you said, she's got a hint of, of the Sarah Jane there. And also um, Rose is not exactly my favorite companion but one of the things that she always has done very well that they had rose doing was getting just being down to earth and interacting with the people that were around Mm. in a way that the doctor really couldn't do because he's the doctor you know capital letters and and rose (laughs) was a very good companion just like sarah jane at relating to people because she was you know a kind nice generous friendly person and i think clara has that too clara has a little bit more she's not quite as, as, as open. She's a little bit more reserved as a character, which I actually like. I like that a little bit better than the completely open to everybody, super friendly Rose. Um, but, but yeah, I think that, that every time we see her manifest that on screen in series seven B, it gets a little bit stronger and leads to who she becomes now in, in series eight. Well, I think the, I'm obviously the thing during series seven B uh, was the fact it's, it was it's all building at that to that point where she enters the doctor's time personal timeline and splinters across time and, and helps him out at certain points and and of course the, the opening of um, the name of the doctor we get that absolutely glorious uh, montage of her interacting mm. with the various mm-hmm. doctors um, which I still I still love watching that but it, it makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up it really does um, especially when she sort of tells the first doctor you don't want to pick that one you don't want to pick that tardis mm-hmm. pick this one instead. I, I think that's just great. And that really, that sort of summed up Clara for me. Unexpected. You did, well, I was, certainly wasn't expecting that to open the episode. I, I really wasn't. And, but I think that's also one of the things that's also put people off the character. 
because it's he's sort of woven a character woven throughout the Doctor's history now, right back to his to his first incarnation. Yeah, but I I think all of that is sort of just you know it was settled in the name of the Doctor. I think it was it was it was yeah it, it was building up to that to say here's we're introducing this new companion. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, the 50th anniversary story is not going to be about the companion. It's going to be about the doctor, you know, because that's just as it should be. So I, you know, after that, I don't think there's, it's, there's no nest, there's no need to mention that the fact that Mm -hmm. she's been threaded throughout his history, you know? Mm. And I think, I think one of the things (coughs) that, that did put people off is the, uh, sort of the sheer amount of hubris on uh, Stephen Moffat's part to create this character that not only is hanging around with the doctor for a while, but actually formed everything that the doctor has ever done <laughs> you right. know, to a certain extent. So I think a lot of people were just, they, they didn't like the retconning because now all of the stuff that they have held in their hearts for so long is, has been caused by a character that they may not be very fond of. So there's, there's some, you know, cognitive dissonance going on there trying to, to put that into place. I don't really mind. I don't have a problem. Doctor Who has never been a slave to its own continuity, yeah. which is why the show still exists <coughs> and why people mm-hmm. still enjoy watching it. Um, I think the other people, uh, the other thing people had a problem with, with Clara throughout her first half, or uh, first half season was that they didn't like the whole impossible girl arc. And they were sick of the fact that, that we had companions um, that were mysteries as opposed to, to just people. And I think that that is kind of missing the point a little bit because the whole mystery part was completely from the doctor's perspective. Yes, there was a mystery about her. And yeah, we're watching the show, but we're not necessarily just watching the show from the doctor's perspective. Clara is a character too. So if you look at Mm. all of the events of that series from Clara's perspective, she was just a companion traveling along with the doctor and learning things and becoming stronger. And by the time she gets to the point where she has this choice, you know, is she going to jump into his time stream and completely sacrifice herself? I mean... From her perspective, that's what it was, a sacrifice of her life. She didn't mm-hmm. think she would ever come out of that. I think that that if you if you take out the doctor's perspective and just look at it from you know this one character arc, it's amazing. I think it's just a beautiful thing that she she grows and she learns. And then she gets to this point and decides to do this wonderful selfless thing to save the universe. And it just like, I'm almost getting misty just thinking about it because it's such a beautiful moment. I love it so much. And I think Mm. if you, if you let, let her motivations be clouded by what you know about, you know, what has come before, I think that that's, uh, um, that's lazy, frankly. Hmm. Yes, I agree. Actually, I agree. I I think there's, um, we're talking about sort of the way that Moffat wrote it. I think he, he pulled, um, I pulled, as I say, a double whammy really because you, the, the, when you look at uh, Listen, uh, again, it goes back even <laughs> further to, to yeah. the Doctor's childhood. And I don't know if he's just doing it just to rub, <coughs> rub certain a certain section of fans' noses in it. I've got absolutely no idea. That's probably um, just gravy. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think but, I think some some fans want showrunners to be stewards of the of the throne as opposed to mm-hmm. actual kings, and they don't want actual any changes. They just wanted to sit there and don't change anything in the past and don't change anything in the future. Just do simple good Doctor Who. But who in his right mind would want to say, "Here you go, you have the keys to the Doctor Who throne." don't do anything with them <laughs> no there's no point in that otherwise doctor who would just wouldn't be the fun and uh and varied and interesting show that it is it would wither and die yeah 
It would do, exactly. Oh, it really would. Now, of course, the other th- I think the other thing, which I thought was a fantastic um, bit, was the, the beginning of Death in Heaven. It's not one of my favourite episodes. I've, I've, you know, I've gone on record as saying that. But the bit at the beginning when she says, I'm the Doctor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, the, and the opening credits have her eyes then sort of Capaldi's. <laughs> oh, which my is God. Which, I, th- I, which I thought was excellent. I thought that was excellent. That was a fantastic twist on things. Um, and again, I think with the, at the moment that happened, I could I could hear like fans groaning across the globe mm-hmm. at that particular moment. But I thought I thought it was brilliant. I loved it. Yeah, I really did. Like Anytime that you know, we keep saying Doctor Who's been on for <coughs> fifty years. You, if you just did the same old thing over and over again, it would get so stale. I love putting in a little twist like this. You, you know, it's one episode. People relax. Yeah, but exactly. But it builds yeah. up to it because you know she she sort of takes on the mantle of the Doctor when the Doctor is trapped in the TARDIS and flatline. So she sort of becomes mm-hmm. the Doctor. She even says it at once. I'm the Doctor, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's no, you're not. Uh, and and it's this whole <laughs> thing. And of course, at the end, you think, how did I do? You know, she's almost almost kind of like wants to be like him. So it's it's built up. It's not just something out of the blue. Yep. That's uh, that somebody mm. says. And and really, let's face it, we all we all knew that was a ruse mm-hmm. anyway. I just right. think I yes, think I think the fact that it faded in from the op- uh, into the opening credits on that line and thus had mm-hmm. Jenna Coleman's name first. So that was just a big oot. Yeah, I think <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know, and I'm going to come back to what you said at the very beginning of the podcast, Stephen. It was earned, you know, not only is the doctor and Clara's relationship now earned, but that tiny little moment is earned. And I think that that's just a credit to the way Stephen Moffat creates and crafts Doctor Who is you really don't get anything that's out of nowhere. If you look back, there are seeds planted. There is a structure built. He he knows what he's doing. I mean, you may not particularly like it, but but he is is crafting this very carefully. And I very much appreciate that as a viewer. Yeah, I think. um Obviously, sort of now we're sort of getting to the point. We said at the beginning, Stephen, that um, it's sort of now is sort of the natural end to, to this companion. Mm-hmm. Um, now I know there's lots of rumours flying around at, at the moment, and I, I don't really want to see uh, Jenna Cohen leave the show. To be honest, I think I think she's outstanding. I think she she makes a fantastic um, sparring partner with the Doctor. I really do. Um, but obviously, there's the, the things that people say, oh, she's not at the Doctor Who Festival in November. She's definitely leaving the show. Um, and now Alex Kingston's going to be uh, in, in the Christmas special. And um, so I think there's another thing that Alex Kingston dropped out, out of a convention in, a, in the US somewhere. And now it looks like Jenna Coleman's taken her place. I, I can't remember which, which con it is. Oh, really? I'd never heard of that. Yeah. So um, now there's all these like, rumours. Yeah, she's definitely going. Um I mean, what what are your guys sort of thoughts? Do you think this is the natural end to Clarinel, like the three year stint, or would you like to see her go on a bit a bit longer? Um, well, I mean, as we record this, Jenna Coleman is in Toronto, Canada, here at a at a convention along with Karen Gillan, oddly enough, uh, as they mm-hmm. are entering production into the Christmas special. Um, and then she's also doing another convention in, here in Edmonton at the end of the month. Um, so you know, you might sort of look at it and go, oh, perhaps she is. Uh, left the show and now she's just doing conventions now. But you look back at, uh, for instance, Matt Smith's first two Christmas specials. Mm-hmm. Um, Where were the mm, companions in those? Yeah, they were barely yeah. in them, but they hadn't left the show at that point. So some the, the way that Moffat structures with the companion, we've been talking about this whole this whole podcast, is that they have their own lives and they can sort of stop off and like be dropped off and picked up 
mm-hmm. indie random mm-hmm. chance. You know, there, there's no there's no necessarily consecutive timeline of when a companion has to be in the TARDIS. She can go off and do her own thing. So, uh, I mean, uh, in my heart of hearts, I do think that Jenna Coleman is leaving after this series just because three seasons is, you know, Sarah Jane Smith is one of the longest tenured companions just because she lasted, not episodes wise, but because she lasted three and a bit, three years and a bit. Mm. And I, I, you know, I mean, I'd love to see her stay longer. Um, but I, th- I'm preparing myself for the fact that, that this is the end of a run on Doctor Who. Yeah. As a, as a realist, I would not be surprised at all if she left. Um, although Stephen does make a good point that just because she's not in an episode like the Christmas episode or not in it very much doesn't necessarily mean that the companion is leaving because I mean, when really, when you think about it, the only reason that we saw Clara in every single story in series eight is because of the way television is made and people, what people expect. If we were actually just looking at the doctor and his adventures, we could have a gazillion adventures happening in between each of those that has no Clara. And yet we're still getting Clara again. And the next time that exactly. he shows up yeah. to pick her up, I, I don't want to see her leave either because I think she's wonderful. I I mean, again, this is me not knowing what's happening in Series 9. So assuming Series 9 is her and the Doctor just palling around, my wish would be after that season, instead of her leaving, to have an addition to the TARDIS. And, and if we're not already going to get that in Series 9, I would love to see her stay and have somebody else because I do think that the show should change after a few years. And I mean, Moffat's done a great job of, of changing it with just the Doctor and Clara as companions. But I think mm. if you just have the same doctor companion relationship going on over too much time, that's not a great thing for the show overall. But if you were to add in another character or two and have sort of the crowded TARDIS thing going on again, that would make be enough of a shakeup to keep the show fresh and still keep Clara because I love her. Uh, but like Steven said, I would not be surprised if she were to leave because because she's a person who lives in the real world and probably wants to also do other things. <laughs> exactly. I think um, it's interesting what you say about um, an, an addition um, to, to the you know to the TARDIS team. Uh, now, I think a lot of people thought during series like that would have been Danny Pink. Mm-hmm. I think everyone had him down as, as the obvious shoo-in, um, to, um, you know, to, to join them on the TARDIS. Um, do you think that would have it would have worked? Considering we just had sort of Amy and Rory not too long ago, we had, we already had like a, you know a, a couple, a married couple on the TARDIS. And okay. Danny and Clara aren't married, but do you think because of the, the relationship Danny had with the Doctor would have made things quite interesting if, they, if they'd have travelled together as a threesome? No, I don't think it would be as, as interesting. You wouldn't have that, you know, they wouldn't. They, they could barely exist in the same room whenever they met. <laughs> That's true, yeah. Uh, yeah. And it would just be, it would it would be the Eric Sayward era again all over. Um, it would just mm-hmm. be them bickering in the TARDIS and nothing else would happen. So I'm I'm glad because because Danny represented the you know Clara's anchor in in the real world so to speak, and the Doctor mm. was her anchor in the fantasy world of traveling around. I think they needed to be that those kind of polar opposites, and it's it's you know it's funny how how fans sort of look at uh, you know anytime something happens they just immediately compare it to something else that has happened that's somewhat similar <laughs> so they see oh well clara is now has a boyfriend well this is just like amy and rory they're going to be in the tardis or you know uh, it's 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 a lack of imagination on part because we don't see what the other alternatives is so we go to the ones that we know mm-hmm. and, and really yeah. when you think about it i mean at the the genesis of doctor who was a tardis with a lot of people in it <coughs> and and mm. and it went from one group of lots of people in the tardis to another one 
another very similar one. You know, you get rid of Susan and you bring in Vicky, who is another teenage girl who is, you know, kind of similar to Susan in some ways and very different in in others. So I think Mm. just because you're going from one thing to something else that is kind of similar doesn't mean that it's not going to work. That's that's a part of the fabric of the history of the show. I think it's fine. I don't think, however, that Danny Pink would have been a good fit because because they did choose to go the antagonistic way instead of instead of making him fit in. So my my thought that we that I would love to see somebody else in the TARDIS doesn't mean I want to see just any old other person in the TARDIS. Uh-huh. It needs to be somebody who fits. I mean, you know, look at Adam back in uh, back in series one. Not everybody is mm. necessarily, you know, uh, cut out for for travel on the TARDIS, although that comes with its own problems, which is probably another entire podcast in itself. Yeah. And you look at, the, you know, the way it was in the 60s with the, you know, everyone says, well, it was always a three person companion team in the TARDIS back in those days. But it was also a matter of logistics. You were making a TV show 39 to 45 weeks out of the year mm-hmm. with your mm-hmm. lead, you know, all of the leads getting a couple holidays in there as well. So you needed other people to sort of pick up the slack, both in learning the lines and everything else. So mm-hmm. that's why there was that kind of companion team. Throughout all the 60s, you know, we were watching mm. Curse of Peladon just the other night mm-hmm. and remarked about how the Doctor and Joe running around on uh, Oxarius and Colony in Space and then on Peladon is like the first time ever for a prolonged time that uh, that it's just the Doctor and one companion when, you, you know, you count unit in there as well. And they've got mm. their own storylines. And so when they went, you know, in season 19, when they thought, let's bring in lots of people again. Um, but not do anything with them. And so they just basically <laughs> put trouble. put one person in the TARDIS for each episode because none of the characters were interesting enough. It I, I don't think a multi-person TARDIS works as well. Even when Rory was there, it was always Amy and Rory as a team um, and mm. never really companions going off on their own. That would be interesting, having two companions unrelated to each other in, in like in the mm-hmm. form of marriage and like having Clara run off and do her thing and have another companion do something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think that, that you're right that <coughs> with the Amy and Rory thing, it was Amy as sort of companion prime and Rory as, as Amy's companion. And I think that that's in part maybe a function of just the way the Doctor Who has been made for so many years. Audiences, especially audiences who weren't watching in the 60s or, or in the 80s, uh, are, expect it to be the Doctor and the Doctor's companion. And I feel like Moffat in so many different ways has been easing the audience into different ideas of what Doctor Who can be. And this was one of the cases where he sort of, you know, flew Rory in under the radar a little bit to give us a multi, you know, multi-companion team in the TARDIS. And I, you know, maybe that is just, you know, one step towards whether he meant it that way or not, one step towards building us up to a, a TARDIS team that has more people that will then like Steven said, sort of be on equal footing as far as their their relationships to the doctor. You know, so you don't have a, a companion for Clara. I just want another companion for the doctor who can then be hmm. both written e- equally well as opposed to how we had things in the 80s um, so that they each have stuff to do in, in every episode, you know. Yeah, Moffat's good at like, you know, sideways sort of giving us like, look at Missy. Like this is this is one step towards having a female doctor. I think I think Moffat realizes he's a savvy TV guy. He knows you can't necessarily just take a a left turn and throw brand new things at an audience that's been watching a show for many, many years. You have to you have to sort of work people into it because change is difficult, Mm -hmm. you know, especially for nerds, (laughs) especially for the general public, too. Well, yeah, yeah. 
I don't know. I, th- I don't know. I think the general public are a little bit because they're not so wrapped up in the mm-hmm. the history of the show so much, um, like a lot of the, you know, the long term fans. Um, well, you know, okay, I'll admit I, I'm one of those long term fans, but <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but the show has to change. It has to adapt, and I think the character of Clara has, has helped the show do that quite a bit. Um, obviously, with with Moffat's sort of um, story arcs and and writing and and, and so forth, but. I, I, it needs to happen. It does need to happen. Uh, and I, I just hope that the next companion that comes along isn't a, a step backwards. I, I'm sure it won't be. No. One, th- one thing I want to point out is that I'm I'm looking forward to this upcoming series for many reasons. But one of the main mm. reasons is that it's mostly comprised of two-parters. And I'm wondering how, you know, having the ability to have the story breathe a little more, mm. what that allows mm. for the different characters. You know, what will Clara do? Will, 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 will her role sort of increase or decrease? Will she have bigger scenes and bigger moments? She had some great scenes in Series 8, I thought. So I'm intrigued to see how that that plays out. I'm, you know, you would think that if uh, all these two-parters happening, there is there is a place for a second companion in there, but uh, we'll see. Mm, Yeah, actually, Mm. just thinking about (laughs) Series 7B and even some episodes of Series 8, I I remember wishing many times that there had just been like another 10 minutes in the episode to to let it, Mm. like you said, let it breathe a little bit more and explain just, you know, a few more things. It's, you know, it's it's annoying to have to be tied to this like 45-ish minute time frame. And I I mean, yes, the writers should know that they are writing for a time frame that's that short. So we can't, I'm not going to give them a pass um but i I do like it when they're able to go just a little bit longer some people thought deep breath uh was dragged a little bit and i don't i think that that was the perfect amount of time to tell that Mm. story i think that's what it needed uh and i know writing for a two-parter is is a different construction than writing for a single episode but i like the idea that that it will have more time to play out and we might be able to to sort of hopefully it's not just two super super fast-paced episodes stuck together where we still wish we had another Mm. 10 minutes Um, (laughs) i'm looking forward to finding out same here, same here. I think it's going to be very, very interesting this upcoming series. I really do. Um, I, I just good to see cliffhangers um, back in back in the uh, back in the the order of things again. Um, I do miss the cliffhangers. Mm-hmm. Here, here. Although yeah. I grew up on omnibus versions on PBS Saturday <laughs> night, so I had I only I only ever saw the cliffhangers well much much later in my life. Oh dear! No, it, it's it's a great thing having a cliffhanger. Oh, growing up when you, when you're a kid, what with the cliffhangers? Yeah. Oh, you couldn't wait for next week. Oh, it was brilliant. It was mm-hmm. absolutely brilliant. So, um, and I think that's probably uh, I don't know, a lot of the appeal of this. Um, it, it's reliving people are reliving their youth again, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Through you know through shows like this because they you know they sort of thinking back to sitting you know with their parents watching the show on a it's been UK anyway watching the show on a, on a Saturday evening, and then sort of like you get the you know, the, the cliffhanger, something monster would loom out and you get the the, the, the scream and then the music will start. And mm-hmm. I'm, oh God, I've got to wait till next week. And it was that that week's <laughs> anticipation. And hopefully I'm going to get that back again. So <laughs> Yeah, actually at the end, we, we have just been watching uh, the Keys of Marinus for our Lazy Doctor Who podcast. And we got to the end mm-hmm. of episode one and I was like, I cannot imagine being a kid back in the 60s having to wait an entire week to find out what the heck happens next because, oh my goodness. And of course, it's probably going to be a week before we even get to watching episode two anyway. But still, like that, mm. the, the, the cliffhanger still has that that delicious effect on me as, as a viewer. Mm. It, it makes, oh, it, makes yeah. it, it makes it appointment viewing. 
mm-hmm. you know, uh, in, yeah. in this day and age of, uh, of streaming and binge watching and everything like that, it's nice to have a show. This Game of Thrones is another one that, that, that still cherish, uh, the, the appointment viewing thing. And it's, uh, and, and a good relationship between the doctor and the companion tying this around, uh, is <laughs> well done. Is paramount to that because sometimes the drama isn't just the monsters. It's how, the doctor and the companion are reacting. And there was times in series eight where I was going, I, wow, this is, this is really scary. I don't know where this is going. Like I remember watching it at the Ooh. end of, uh, of kill the moon after that wonderful blistering performance from, from Jenna Coleman at the end of that. Yes. And then essentially walking out. And then the next time trailer skillfully edited to not include Clara in there at all mm-hmm. to make us mm. believe that perhaps she had indeed gone. I thought, you know, I was like, uh, what's, what's going on next week? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That absolutely fantastic. So I think that's a good place to leave that um, there, actually, um, because you know we're anticipating series nine starting, and uh, and actually I'm going to play it with that little scene from Kill the Moon as well, actually. Oh, so nice. I've already awesome. got that. I've got that set up. Excellent. So um, Eric and Stephen, thank you so much for joining me on on this um, first um, companion special, and um, I just hope nobody picks Adam as we go through. <laughs> <laughs> as we the shortest podcast I've ever done. Yeah. <laughs> Unless I can get Bruno Langley on. So. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, then. So um, we'll be back because next week we're having a um, it's a break week for us on the Who's podcast. So we'll be back um, on September the 23rd uh, with our review of the, of the Magician's Apprentice. So um, so that's that. So, uh, guys, I'm obviously um, can you please plug your wonderful podcasts? Which ones? Uh, <laughs> all of them. Go for it. All of them. <laughs> uh, okay, I'll start. Let's see if I can remember them. Okay, so I have Verity, which yeah. is my Doctor Who podcast. Uh, and then Stephen and I together do Lazy Doctor Who. Where we're watching all of Doctor Who from the beginning, lazily. Uh, then I have, as you mentioned at the outset, uh, the audio guide to Babylon 5. Watching that from the beginning. Uh, also, I am a frequent panelist on the Incomparable podcast, which is just a, a general geekery podcast, which is really good. And on that same network, I also appear on video and on audio playing Dungeons and Dragons in the Total Party Kill podcast. Also, Stephen and I uh, both co produce the Uncanny Magazine podcast of short fiction, poetry, and interviews. So, there. I want to point out that I one time had to convince Erica that she could do a podcast uh, <laughs> when she was feeling a little bit self-conscious about it. Uh, obviously, that um, that ill at ease feeling has disappeared. Uh, I'm only on I'm only on three. Lazy Doctor Who, which you mentioned, uh, the Memory Cheech is back doing the new series with the RTD years. Me and Josh are doing those again, and uh, and Radio Free Scar, of course, the big one that's been going on for nine years now. So. All those are available to find on Twitter in some way, shape, or form, and of course, iTunes and so forth. <laughs> Excellent, brilliant, cool. You can get your breath back. Now. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Then, so um, that's that's wrap this up. Then, so th- once again, thanks for actually joining me. So, until next time, everybody, it is goodbye from me, Phil, and goodbye from you, Stephen, and goodbye from me, Erica. And we're going to play out now with the final scene from Kill the Moon. I know that it's only my business, but I think you did the right thing. Yeah, you're right. It's none of your business. Come on, calling off you. Go, double geography. Can we do it again? Go, go, go. Chop, chop. Tell me what you knew. Nothing. I told you I've got grey areas. Yeah, I noticed. Tell me what you knew, Doctor, else I'll smack you so hard you regenerate. 
I knew that eggs are not bombs. I know they don't usually destroy their nests. Essentially, what I knew was that you would always make the best choice. I had faith that you would always make the right choice. Honestly, do you have music playing in your head when you say rubbish like that? It wasn't my decision to make, I told you. Yeah, well, why'd you do it? Was it, was it for Courtney? Was that it? Well, she really is something special now, isn't she? First woman on the moon, saved the Earth from itself, and rather bizarrely, she becomes the president of the United States. She met this bloke called Blinifred. Do you know what? Shut up! I am so sick of listening to you! Oh, well, I, I didn't do it for Courtney. I didn't know what was going to happen. Or do you think I'm lying? I don't know. I don't know. But if you didn't do it for her, I mean... Do you know what? It was... It was cheap. It was pathetic. No, no, no. It was patronising. That was you. Pat Ingalls on the back saying, well, you're big enough to go to the shops by yourself now. Go on, toddle along. Well, that was me allowing you to make a choice about your own future. That was me... Respecting you. Oh, my God, really? Was it? Yeah, well, respected is not how I feel. <laughs> right, okay. Uh... I nearly didn't press that button. I nearly got it wrong. That was you. My friend, making me scared. Making me feel like a bloody idiot. Language. Oh, don't you ever tell me to mind my language. Don't you ever tell me to take the stabilizers off my back. And don't you dare lump me in with the rest of all the little humans that you think are so tiny and silly and predictable. You walk our earth, Doctor. You breathe our air. You make us your friend, and that is your moon too. And you can damn well help us when we need it. I was helping. What, by clearing off? Yes. Yeah, well, clear off. Go on. You can clear off, get back in your lonely, in your lonely bloody tarnis, and you don't come back. Clara, Clara. You go away. Okay? You go a long way away. You were listening to the Who's He podcast. Please visit our website at who's-he-podcast.co.uk You can also follow us on Twitter at who's underscore he underscore podcast and please also join the Who's He Podcast Facebook group. The Who's He Podcast is a member of the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance. Mm-hmm.